Well, one moment she was uh, just another face in the crowd, uh, sitting at her table, sipping her coffee, talking on her cell phone. But the next moment, uh, she was rising from her seat, standing in the food court and belting out the words to Handel's Hallelujah Chorus in what can only be described as a spectacular flash mob performance. In our congregation's uh, reaction was priceless. Jaws dropped, heads turned, cell phones recorded. But it turns out that Stephanie Trichy wasn't the only person uh, singing that morning in Seaway Mall uh, because her fellow members of Chorus Niagara joined her one after another after another until all of them were standing and singing an impromptu rendition of Handel's Messiah. And it turns out uh, that their performance, like most flash mob performances, uh, took months of practice. It was a, it was a tricky thing, uh, the mall president uh, told a reporter later that day. I couldn't, couldn't tell our tenants, and I, I couldn't even tell security until the morning of the event. Uh, but despite the challenges, it went off without a hitch. Mall pianist was uh, playing some Christmas tunes. She was the one to give the pre-hallelujah single signal, and uh, Stephanie stood up, and the rest is history as their video went viral. And in the decade uh, since that event occurred, uh, more than 50 million people have watched it. And I think that's uh, the power of Handel's Messiah, power to say it's time for Christmas. And, you know, it's uh, the piece of music that certainly plays in my mind uh, this time of year. This may be yours as well. But it's also the piece of music that plays in my mind when I hear the words uh, that we just heard from uh, Isaiah's prophecy. You see, a, a, a low bass belts out those words from Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And then the key, it shifts from minor to major, and uh, then the whole choir chimes in, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and you know how the rest of the line goes, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, and, and all of a sudden, it's time for Christmas. But you see, the incredible thing for me is that long before it's time for Christmas, long before God sends us Jesus, he's already at work, already shining light into uh, the darkness. And that's the promise uh, that we remember once again as we get ready uh, and as we celebrate this day, Christmas. Uh, we celebrate God's promise that God is always at work, always at work in our lives, always shining light into the darkness. And uh, that brings us to the circumstances in which we receive this prophecy from Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9. You see, uh, as the curtain rises on the circumstances around this reading and the first hearers who would have heard it, it's 730 years before Jesus is born. And if you find yourself among those hearers, uh, you find yourself reeling from this rather significant geopolitical conflict. Yeah, before I uh, get into what the conflict was, uh, I'd first like to introduce you to the major players that took place in it. You see, there are four major players uh, that took place in this story. And what I also want you to remember, it's about 200 years after the nation of Israel, uh, God's chosen people, after they get a divorce, after they divide in two, north and south divided. And I want you to keep that in mind uh, because the first of these players uh, are one of the people 
in that situation. They're best known as the home team in the Old Testament, though you might know them as the land of Judah, and they're the southern kingdom. Uh, the nation uh, that more or less remains faithful, the spiritual successor to God's chosen people. And the most important detail to know about them in today's reading is that they are the weakest player in this conflict. I'm bringing us uh, to the second and third uh, players in the conflict uh, that just happened. Uh, you probably know them by the names of Ephraim uh, and Syria, but that's just uh, another name, Ephraim, uh, for the northern kingdom of God's people, the kingdom that ended up following away, the, the kingdom that stopped worshiping God. And, and right next door to them, uh, their next door neighbor is the land of Syria, in the 7th century before Christ, uh, these two nations, Ephraim and Syria, they were threatened by the world's superpower of the day, uh, the Neo-Assyrian Empire. And they're the fourth and final player in today's reading. What I want you to remember about them is that, uh, is that their appetite for destruction was famous. I mean, historians remember them for being brutally vicious and, and, and fiercely cruel. You see, they would, they would tear their enemies apart, and they would leave behind nothing but death and darkness. And so that sets the stage for, for this thing that just happened. You see, Ephraim and Syria, they are on the chopping block. They're the next two nations to incur the wrath of the Neo-Assyrian Empire. And, and together they come, and, and they make this rather bold decision. They decide that rather than going on defense— against the Neo-Assyrian Empire. They're going to do something rather rash. They're going to go on offense. But you see, in the, the 7th century uh, BC, uh, Ephraim and Syria aren't these powerful nations, and so they're going to need some help. And so what do they do? Uh, they send word to their southern neighbor. They send word uh, to Judah, and they ask for their help. And so at this point, uh, I just want you to imagine what it would have been like uh, to be living in Judah, to place yourself uh, in some of their shoes. You see, uh, Judah isn't under attack. They're, uh, they're not threatened. And so it certainly doesn't make sense for them uh, to poke the big, bad Neo-Assyrian bear. And that's why Judah's king tells these two northern neighbors that they're not going to help them. And and well, if you're living in the land of Judah, what you then discover is that this is a, a rather unacceptable decision for your northern neighbors. And so they send their armies south. Ephraim and, and Syria, they, they siege Jerusalem, they attack the city. And, and even though God says, trust me, don't relent, don't worry, I've got this, your king, he sells his soul. He sells your soul. He, he makes this alliance, this allegiance, this arrangement with the big, bad Neo-Assyrian Empire. And the good news is it, it, it takes care of your present situation. I mean, Ephraim and Syria, they are, they are wiped off of the map. But when the dust finally settles, what you discover is that the Neo-Assyrian Empire has also set up shop of sorts in Jerusalem. Now, they're, they're looking to put idols in your temple. And it's into these sorts of circumstances, uh, the destruction of Ephraim and Syria, the unfaithfulness of your king, the, the reign of death and darkness, it's into these circumstances that Isaiah announces today's message. The people, the people who walk in darkness, 
will see a great light. The, the people who live in a land of deep darkness, on them, light will shine. And, and the incredible thing, at least for me, is that long before God sends us Jesus, long before he is born into our world, God is already at work shining light into darkness. And that's exactly what happens uh, if you were living in the land of Judah. God sends a king, your next king, to throw off the yoke of the Neo-Assyrian Empire. And so unto us, a child is born. And then 90 years later, another one of your kings, he brings peace in the land of Ephraim. And so unto us, another child is born. And then 200 years after that, uh, when your people have been taken into exile into the land of Babylon, yet another king sends you back to Jerusalem. And, And once again, unto us, a child is born. Because God is always shining light, always shining light into the darkness. And for a moment, uh, by a quick show of hands, uh, how many of you by any chance have ever heard of a blue Christmas or a longest night service before? Anyone? All right, one, two. Okay, I got two people. Uh, Up until a couple of years ago, I had never heard of these kinds of Christian services uh, before. I never heard of them uh, until a member of my former congregation, a woman who uh, would work with those uh, who experienced loss, uh, specifically pregnancy loss, uh, came to me and said, you know, would it be possible for us to do one of these? And, uh, and if you've never heard of a Blue Christmas or a Longest Night Service, uh, then what you should know is that they are designed uh, for those who struggle around the holidays or who struggle around Christmas. And they struggle because they've uh, lost a loved one or a job or a relationship or their health. And, and whether that was something that happened today uh, or yesterday or even years in the past, these services, they're designed to serve as a reminder. A reminder uh, that God is always at work in our world. A reminder that God is always shining light into our lives, light into darkness. It also turns out that this, uh, this is how the earliest Christians also decided on a day uh, to celebrate Christmas. You see, uh, Jesus uh, probably wasn't born on December 25th, uh, despite what I have told uh, kids in children's sermons uh, for years. Uh, Jesus probably wasn't born on December 25th. Actually, uh, scholars will uh, look at the stars that would have been in the sky that night and say that, you know, well, maybe Jesus was born in summer or early autumn. And uh, other scholars, they'll look at uh, the shepherds that would have been keeping watch over their fields by night, keeping watch over uh, the sheep. And, and they'll say, well, you know, maybe it was uh, in April or, or May that Jesus was born. And, well, the fact of the matter is uh, that we, we just don't really know for sure. And so when the earliest Christians were looking for a day to celebrate the birth of Jesus, they picked a day uh, not based on accuracy, uh, but based on symbolism. So they picked uh, December 25th. Uh, it was the winter solstice in the Julian calendar. Uh, and so uh, it was the shortest day of the year. And the idea was that starting on December 25th, every day after that, every day after we celebrate the birth of Jesus, uh, the days just get longer and longer, brighter 
and brighter. Because that's what Jesus does. He, he brings light into our lives. You know, as, uh, as we reach the end of this year, as we uh, look back on 2020, it strikes me that there are all sorts of things that have happened this year uh, that many of us could label as darkness. I mean, uh, all sorts of jobs have been lost. People have been sick. Some people have been sick and died. Kids, uh, kids have been trying, struggling to learn on the internet. And, and then there are the simple things. You know, greeting each other, spending time together. I, I miss shaking your hands. I, I miss giving you a hug after the service. And, you know, as the year comes to a close, uh, there is some sense of hope in the air. A hope that uh, a vaccine or a stimulus bill or a variety of other things might actually bring some light into this darkness. Yeah, I certainly uh, hope that they do, and, and they, they just might. But, but what we celebrate today on Christmas, what we remember, is that Jesus is not only the one who brings light into the darkness. Jesus is the one who brings the kind of light that also overcomes the darkness. You see, it was uh, some 760 years after Isaiah receives this prophecy, years after all of these other children would have been born, uh, that story all gets started. In the land of Ephraim, just north of Judah, a young Jewish rabbi by the name of Jesus begins his ministry. Maybe you remember how his ministry starts, that he walks into his hometown synagogue, that he unrolls the scroll of Isaiah, that he reads the words written there, and he says that those words are fulfilled in the hearing of the people all around him. Unto us, the child is born. And, you know, as uh, his story unfolds, what we see is the one who not only brings light into the darkness, but the one whose light also overcomes the darkness. I mean, that's what we see as he lives and as he loves and he serves among us. And, and just when you think that his light is going to get snuffed out, just when you see him die on a cross, he rises again to show us that his is the kind of light that overcomes every kind of darkness. His is the light that gives victory over the sin, the death, the destruction, the brokenness, the hurt, and the pain in your life and in mine. His is the light that does something like that. And as we, as we gather here on Christmas morning in, in the midst of what feels like bitter cold, that's what we remember. That's what we celebrate. That's why we worship Jesus. And that's what enables us to stand with, with the people of Ephraim and, and Judah. It's what enables us to resonate with John who proclaims the word of God. A word that tells us this day that, that the people who walked in darkness, they have seen a great light. They have, they have seen Jesus, and, and that light, his light, shines in the darkness. And the darkness does not overcome it. Amen.